0: episode you're about to hear was recorded in front of a live audience which was so much fun but um, the thing that you're not going to hear is we had some live music that night from Anna and Brett Carey from Astronauts Worship and I just wanted to make sure that you got a little taste of their music so that you could uh, I guess know what you missed. (laughs) So here is just a little clip of Hole by Astronaut Worship. Just a little taste of astronaut worship and go check them out. They are on Facebook. All the things will be in the show notes. But I wanted to make sure you got a little taste of their music. So now that we've done that, let's head into the episode. Welcome to the Retreat House Podcast. I'm your host, Angie Smith. I've invited a friend to the table to share their story and join us welcome to the table well this is a very special episode I know I say that all the time but this is a first I am hosting my first live recording of the podcast so there are actually other people in the house which is so fun. And yeah, this is a real special episode. This is going to be episode 51. So I am well into this grand experiment. And my guest for today's episode is someone whose work I have seen and really admired. And I'm excited to hear more about his process and how he got to where he is today. And uh, yeah, a little bit more about what he does and what his story is. So today my guest is J.D. O'Brien. Yeah.
1: Hello, hi. <laughs> hi.
0: And he is a local filmmaker. And so we're going to talk a little bit about his story and how he got to where he is making movies now. So welcome, J.D.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I'm, I'm honored.
0: Yeah, I'm so excited that you're here. Why don't we start, well, where do you think would be a good place to start? Like, why are you a filmmaker? Like, where did that begin?
1: Why am I a filmmaker? Uh, that's a great <laughs> where question. where did it start? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I grew up uh, as a musician. And as a worship leader. And what I was really good at was arranging music and talking to the band and saying, you know, if we cut the drums out for this verse, we do a key change here, crescendo there. What's going to happen to the room? I was and still am a good guitar player, but there were better guitar players out there. Okay. uh, And there were many better singers out there. But it was the emotional side of it that kept me getting invited back. And so... After high school, I joined Youth with a Mission, okay, um, and went to their school of worship. Was a part of their Bible school for a while. Where and did the, you go?
0: Aren't there fun places that you get to go with? YMAM? Yeah,
1: I was kind of based out of Switzerland for a couple of years, okay. which was Very really cool. fun. Um, <laughs> and then there was Colorado and Hawaii and India and Sweden and England. I think that was all of the places that I really spent a significant amount of time. Okay. Um, and it was magical, and I loved it. And it, it, saved, it saved me thousands in college debt as I tried mm. to figure, figure <laughs> out what I wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And then around 25, I said, uh, okay, what do I want to do with my life? And at that point, I knew three things. Uh, the emotional side of music was one, something I was good at, as I mentioned. And I could take a good photograph, and I could tell a good story. And so I thought, you know, those three things, how do I apply those abstract things into a career? And filmmaking seemed like a good intersection mm-hmm. of those three things. And uh, so I was also considering a couple other things, like going in just into, into writing full-time.
0: Mm-hmm. Writing films?
1: No, just I, I was thinking about writing books and newspaper articles and who knows what else Mm -hmm. but i decided to call 2011 my year of experiments and so i went to a two-week fiction writing seminar and then uh then i went and taught english in south korea for a couple months and then i went to a three-month documentary film school and towards the end of the english teaching program They ended up asking me to make some film curriculum for their students. Okay. And I found that I enjoyed that so much that I didn't really want to be teaching anymore. So Mm -hmm. that kind of knocked (laughs) teaching out. And the fiction writing seminar earlier, I had said, you know, hearing what it takes to get to the top of that ladder. I said, Mm -hmm. the top of the ladder looks fun, but climbing the ladder doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's not for me. And then I went to the documentary film school and loved every single minute of it. Mm. And even the parts that everyone else in my class was dreading, uh, like transcribing interviews and taking these big, long, hour-long interviews and typing Mm -hmm. out every word that's said in them or logging shots and having to spend just hours watching footage. Everyone else was dreading that stuff, and I was loving it because I could see how... those pieces were creating the the puzzle pieces for the final film. Oh, okay. Um, I thought if I can enjoy the most boring and mundane parts of a profession, mm-hmm. then maybe I should stick around in that profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I did.
0: Nice. So that was that was a while ago.
1: That that was the film school was at the end of two thousand eleven. Okay. And at that point, after that, I didn't and still don't have any sort of college degree. The while I'm training, I, the it's considered the University of the Nations, but that's unaccredited. Okay. Um, and even with that, I'm only three-fourths of the way through their, quote, bachelor's degree. Okay. But I was out of money, mm-hmm. uh, so I needed to come back. Even if I was going to continue with the program, mm-hmm. I needed to come back for a while. And I said, well, filmmaking is one of those careers where you don't necessarily need a degree. It's not like mm-hmm. being a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor.
0: You don't need a certificate. Yeah, you, need you don't the, need that
1: certification. Mm-hmm. It, it can help sometimes, but you don't need it. I said, let's just see if I can dive into this career and make it work. Now I'm probably not going to go back to school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> After seven years of this, I, you know, mm-hmm. um, it's, been, it's been a relatively successful career.
0: Yeah, well, and I'm familiar with one of the films that you made, Out in the Cold, which was a documentary film. in uh, what year did you make that?
1: That was 2015.
0: Okay, so then before we get to that, what was what did those gap years in between look like? What were yeah, you doing? Yeah,
1: absolutely. So, I just started getting onto any set that I could. Hmm. I found my first few gigs on Craigslist. Ended up with some really good stories from that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> not not any work that I'm necessarily proud of. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. It was a great spot to, you know, to have a couple years there where I was able to cut my teeth. At one point, my dad met a woman who was a commercial producer, and he gave her one of my business cards, and she ended up giving me a lot of work for a couple years. Nice. Just serving coffee and going to get lunch and uh, doing whatever I could, but on some pretty big commercial sets. And so I learned a lot there and kind Mm -hmm. of learned, you know, there's a lot of different jobs within the film industry. Mm -hmm. And so it was kind of a a continuation of that experimentation process of learning uh, what I liked to do and what I didn't like to do. So I learned fairly early on that I enjoyed shooting, but the cinematographer isn't as involved with the story as the director or the writer or the producer and so I found out that there are other people that liked shooting more mm-hmm. and I'd rather be involved with the story. And so, yeah, so I chose not to be a cinematographer and, you know, you do that with, with a lot of different positions.
0: Yeah. Was Out in the Cold, was that your first film? So that, that was my made? first
1: feature length film. In 2013, I was part of a, a film festival called Z-Fest, which is a local festival here in if you pay a hundred, at least then it was a hundred dollars and you submit a film that's seven minutes or less before the credits roll, mm-hmm. they'll show it on the big screen wow. uh, at the Riverview in South Minneapolis, which is a, just a phenomenal theater. And so that was a really, really cool experience to just test myself to see if I could put a crew together, get them to work for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, um <laughs> And put something on the big screen. And so, I mean, I, I was proud of what I made because it was still kind of that experimentation process and I was still learning a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so I made that. I made another short with a friend and uh, was paying the bills kind of by the combination of being a, a small fish in bigger ponds on these commercial crews and, you know, doing nonprofit. I guess you would kind of consider them commissioned documentaries. Okay where you're you know telling a testimonial for a company or a or a nonprofit, and that's still kind of what pays the bills today is mm-hmm. that those kind of work. commissioned documentaries and and other commercials of sorts
0: Nice so then how did tell a story? well, maybe tell a little bit about what out in the cold is about and then go back and tell. Like how you got there and what it, what inspired it?
1: Sure, yeah. So first, just to bring everybody up to speed on "Out in the Cold" and what it is, it's a feature-length documentary. It's available on Amazon Prime. So just search for "Out in the Cold" and you'll find it pretty quick there. It's not the book on saline written by Bill Murray, <laughs> uh, but that's the only one that shows up before. <laughs> before the movie. Before the movie, um, so a friend and I spent a week of Minneapolis winter sleeping either on the streets or in homeless shelters uh, as an opportunity to create empathy with and share the stories of the people that really actually have to live that life because we had a pretty simulated experience, obviously. Mm-hmm. The the concept for the film started with my friend John, who you'll meet in the film. Uh, he came to me and, and said, let's get a beer. So we're sitting drinking a beer and he says... I just want to like make a YouTube channel or a movie or something that just like tells the story of people. Mm. John just has this amazing heart and this amazing passion just to hear people's stories and get to know people. I've never seen anyone with that much of a heart for that. And I said, "John, that's kind of a 7 billion person big story. <laughs> like how do we narrow that down into a bite-sized chunk?" Or even a plate-sized chunk. Mm -hmm. You know, is there a certain element of the human experience or a certain people group that really excites you, that really makes you passionate about? And so John just started telling a couple stories. And and his first couple stories uh, were about people experiencing homelessness and the connections that he had made with people experiencing homelessness. And just then, um, I got hit with a bolt of lightning as he was talking that... Um, I like to call that bolt of lightning the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And it it said, out in the cold, a week of experiencing homelessness. So I said, John, I dare you to spend a week on the streets, and I'll do it with you and follow you around with a camera. Mm -hmm. And so from there, nobody told us no. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I did a, a whole bunch of research. We... Went and hung out with some people experiencing homelessness. We met with some people that were professional advocates, you know, working in shelters and such.
0: This was all in preparation. This was all in preparation.
1: The yep. Then I found some of my favorite crew members from around town and said, mm-hmm. guys, I promise I'll pay you fair wages, but it might take a few years. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were good enough friends. And the, the project was both cool enough and meaningful enough to them that they agreed to that. And then, uh, February 25th I think 2015 okay we, uh, we purposefully figured out what we were going to do for each night but not for each day and so we knew that uh, we were going to make a make a breakfast at, at my house and then as soon as breakfast was done we were going to walk out the front step and say, okay now what mm-hmm. I, yeah I, at that point we're about 10 minutes into the film and you can pick it up from there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was such a great story. And what I appreciated too, about the, the way that you were approaching it is that, and I'm not, I can't remember if you said it in the film or if I heard you when you were talking about the film is that you, one of, one of the things you wanted to do is to see where God was working on the street, where, what, what was it that he was doing? And for me, it caused this internal shift of you weren't bringing the Lord upon the street you know bestowing him upon the street you were recognizing he's already there working and I want to go partner with him and it caused the shift because of the humility of it versus the hubris of Mm -hmm. I am bringing the Lord and and all through the film the way that the two of you were approaching people was that way with humility and telling their stories and was very honoring
1: thank you yeah um, I would say that my my worldview is something I call reverse evangelism Uh, I believe that every one of us is made in the image of God, Mm -hmm. but since God is infinite, the way that you are made in the image of God can be 100% different than the way you are made in the image of God and different from the way each of us is made in the image of God. And so each and every one of us has a unique cocktail of God's love and mercy and justice and Uh, You know, I mean, we could talk all night about the amazing attributes of God, Mm -hmm. and each of us, maybe we miss a couple of those things completely, and some of them we're really strong in, uh, nowhere nearly as strong as the infinite God, but uh, yeah, we each have a unique cocktail of the, the attributes of God, and so everyone that I meet on planet Earth has something to teach me about God. That I can't find anywhere else on the planet. Whether or not that person believes in any God, believes in the same God that I do, uh, whether they say they worship the same God that I do or not, they're all made in the image of God. And therefore, they all have something to teach me about God that I can't find anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And so that was the approach that we took to the streets we said that everyone that we were going to meet over the next seven days, and none of this is said horribly explicitly in the film because we were trying to reach a much broader audience, and if you talk too loudly about your faith, then they're going to shut it off. But we said before we went out that this was about seeing people that were made in the image of God and hearing their stories and hearing what put them in some really really tough situations and you know what what brought them to the the hard lives that they were living.
0: Mhm. So what was one what was one story? What was one story or one thing that you learned from that project from that week on the streets? I'm sure there were Yeah, <laughs> tons there were a ton. Um
1: I think one of the more overarching themes that we discovered we went out there thinking that hope and survival were pretty synonymous and we found that they're actually really in tension with each other. The more that you have to focus on your day to day survival, the real basic stuff of where am I going to eat, where am I going to sleep, how am I going to stay warm,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the more brain power that that stuff takes, the less brain power you have to give to how do I look for tomorrow and how do I get out of this situation that I'm in and how do I. So it's almost like you're life. in a
0: cycle of surviving yep. instead of thriving.
1: Yep. Survival mode inhib- uh, hinders hope.
0: Survival mode hinders hope.
1: Yeah, I think that's the way I would say it. That it, yeah. it, it, t- it zaps the energy that it takes to hope.
0: Mm-hmm. And to plan or to dream.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly.
0: So then the project that you're working on now is your next feature length film, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and it's called After the Gunflint? Correct. Okay, which I'm really excited about because I love the North Shore and the Gunflint Trail.
1: Yeah, I listened to your episode about the North Shore. I loved it. Oh, Um, thanks.
0: The first one was 45 minutes. (laughs) I decided no one wanted to listen to me talk about the North Shore for 45 minutes.
1: (laughs) Well, I I was a little disappointed that you left out my favorite state park up on the North Shore, which is Temperance River.
0: Oh, I'm surprised I did leave it out. That's my husband's nodding. He likes the <laughs> he likes the cliff jumping at Temperance. Yeah. Um,
1: we are. Uh, uh, we're hoping to film at Temperance River. Oh, really? Yeah, we'll get back to Temperance River in a moment. Okay. But um, this is a fiction film. It's it's my first full length narrative film, and the premise is that every summer, a teenage girl goes up with her grandfather to the North Woods on a fishing trip. And he's a float plane pilot, and so he flies them way deep into the woods where the cars can't get, and so therefore there's a lot more fish there. Mm -hmm. And this summer, the girl's dad, the man's son-in-law, goes with them, even though he's a total workaholic city slicker type. Okay. And while the three of them are up in the woods, Grandpa has a heart attack. And so the younger two need to find their own way out of the woods while trying to keep their unconscious tour guide and patriarch and leader uh, while trying to keep him alive. Wow. Yeah. That's Um, a good story. Thanks, I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be filming next summer and while I was writing it, I was working on the first draft Mm -hmm. and I was really in the zone, really in the groove and I wanted a conflict to happen before grandpa had the heart attack because if there wasn't a conflict there, then when the heart attack happens, the younger two would just retrace their steps back out and it would be really easy to get out and, there wouldn't be, it, would, and it wouldn't be that good of a movie. <laughs> the first idea that came to mind was to have a pedestrian rope bridge fall, uh, kind of Indiana Jones style. Okay. Um,
0: I bet that would be a challenge filming.
1: Yeah. Filming that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and at f- that was the first thought that crossed my mind, too. Like, mm-hmm. that's going to be really hard. And then I thought, well, if I stopped to think about how I would produce that and how I would mm-hmm. actually make that happen, it's going to derail my creativity. Uh, and I'm not going to ever actually finish the script. I was, uh, my wife was out of town for that weekend. And so I took our dog Chaco Mm -hmm. and went up to a friend's cabin about five hours north, right in the middle of the state and said, all right, I'm going to try and write this whole first draft this weekend. And so that's what I was in the middle of. And this was probably late morning on Saturday. I was, you know, I said, if I think about producing this, I'm going to lose track of it. So I said, I'm just going to write that scene. And uh, and see what comes out of it. Mm-hmm. I can rewrite it later if I need to. Well, sure enough, now it's actually a really important scene to me in the film. Partially because, not just because it'll be a challenge to produce, and mm-hmm. I'm really excited about that challenge, because it feels like there's a spot where the, where the water is just over your head, mm-hmm. where you're really comfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, if it's too far over your head, then you're really drowning. But if you can kind of see above the water but you can't really breathe yet mm-hmm. there's something really beautiful and energizing about being in that spot mm-hmm. and so that's kind of how we feel about that scene and there was two and i i know i'm going on too long about this but <laughs> it, it's interesting to me so i hope it's interesting yeah. to you <laughs> well and all the filmmakers are
0: eating it up all yeah the storytellers. And, you know
1: um <laughs> And I hope there's something applicable to, to all creatives mm-hmm. in this as well. The other thought that almost derailed the scene was well, Spielberg's already done that. Oh, you know, mm-hmm. it's an Indiana Jones kind of thing. So, but it brought me back to when I was more focused on music as my main outlet of creativity. One of my favorite things was cover songs. Because when you hear a musician play a cover song, you hear, one, who their influences are and who they want to honor and pay tribute to. Mm-hmm. But it also shows you something unique about their voice in how they reinterpret the song and do mm-hmm. it with their own instrumentation and their own voice and their own style. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was the other reason why that scene has become really important to me uh, is because I love Spielberg and I love his work mm-hmm. and and so I'm keeping it in as a cover song to okay. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Um so Temperance River State Park is one of the I don't know if there's any other place in the state that has a 30 foot gorge over rapids that's you know skinny enough that we can actually throw a bridge across it mm-hmm. you know it's a very unique place in the state of minnesota it is to, to film that scene i, was, um, I mean yeah. i
0: can i can see it because yeah. there's that what is it hidden falls where you can't even really see it and it's yep so you've got
1: hidden falls and mm-hmm. then if you keep going up the river there's a big uh pedestrian bridge that is big enough for golf courts and stuff okay and then if you're looking up river which is almost due north from that spot uh, you know you've got the both cliff walls on each side and, mm. and it's mm-hmm. pretty narrow from one side to the other and it's flat enough that you know you can have a film crew standing on one side or the and the other and you the know. other um, wow so
0: what is like i'm just going to geek out about the north shore for a little bit yeah um so like is it hard to film at a north at a state park is i mean is it hard to get the rights to be able to do that
1: No, we're still officially working through some of that. Okay. Uh, But we met with the park ranger. You know, we still have to file some of the official paperwork, but he seemed okay with working with us. There's He had some rules for us about, uh, you know, um, we are actually going to put a bridge across the river there. And uh, he's like, you can tether it to trees as long as you use really wide belts that won't dig into the trees at all. Mm-hmm. You know, some stuff like that. But.
0: Well, and how does it feel about being able to film at one of your favorite places? I mean, it's kind of like two worlds colliding. Yeah, it sounds that's like. going to be a lot of fun. Yeah.
1: Um, I experience God easiest when I'm in nature. Mm. Um, and so just being able to put a film out in the woods even though faith is never really mentioned in the film, just even setting it out in the woods kind of makes God a character in the film. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. That's, the North Shore is one of my places. It's one of my thin spaces. Yeah, exactly. Where, yeah, where it feels like God's just a little, or the space between is just a little bit thinner. Yeah, it's one of my, I understand why the native people called Lake Superior, why it was Gichigumi, why it was this big, Sacred place because, yeah, I, get, Absolutely. Yeah, we, I could geek out yeah. about the North Shore for a long time, <laughs> but that's not our topic. <laughs> a little while back, too, you were doing a campaign for funding for yeah. after the gunflint. Is that still something that you're working on if people were interested in wanting to know more about that?
1: Potentially. All films take a lot of money to, I mean, really, mm-hmm. all creative endeavors take more money than. Any one of us have most of the time. <laughs> this film, we're trying to get it made for about $50,000 total. Wow. Which uh, in the world of filmmaking is not a whole lot.
0: Mm-mm. Especially for a feature length.
1: Totally, yeah. I mean, it's been done before and done for even less sometimes. Mm-hmm. But it's still rare. So we had about uh, eighteen grand left over from uh, profits from a previous project. This... This is the one thing that I left out from the early era of 2013 to 2015. It was a web series called Superhuman. Mm. Uh, It was fictional. It's 90 minutes long, but that's split up between nine, 10-minute episodes. And we first put the first couple episodes on YouTube, and then uh, a European distributor said, hey, take that off YouTube because I can sell it. Wow. Uh, Yeah. And so they sold it to... A TV channel called Canal Plus, which is available in Europe and South America, and they were launching their app. Okay. uh, And wanted content exclusive to the app, and so they paid us to put for you know to give them exclusive rights until next summer uh, for this show. That's exciting. So
0: then that that is helping to feed into. Yep. So we're using.
1: Yeah, so what's left over from that after taxes and actually paying off the crew for out in the cold as well, mm-hmm. um, what's left over is eighteen grand, And I was able to talk my business partner uh, and co-creator of that series into letting us use that money for this project. It helps that he's going to be the cinematographer on this okay. project, and so <laughs> it's going to help pay him too. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> um, and then we raised seven and a half grand through crowdfunding, Okay. The crowdfunding campaign is now closed. But, I mean, if you want to send, send money, I'll take <laughs> it. <laughs> I'll get you a t-shirt.
0: <laughs>
1: um, oh,
0: so That's another question, too. How would people find out more about what you do and the work that you've done?
1: Sure. Yeah. The best place is just to go to jdobrien.tv. Okay. That's, uh, you, can, you can watch the trailers for all of these projects that we've talked about. Uh, as well as commercial work that I've done. And an address and then, to send money. Yeah, and then you can <laughs> you can shoot me an email from there. Um, so really, the third stage of fundraising for the film is mm-hmm. trying to find investors or an executive producer that want to contribute a lot of money and then potentially get that money back, even though all films are high-risk investments. Right. <laughs> um, so that's kind of where that adventure is at right now. Uh, is looking for 25 grand through a combination of investors and potentially like clothing lines outfitters that would want to do a product placement um, oh, okay. and show off you know if you've got a cool hammock company
2: mm-hmm.
1: or a cool backpack company and want really beautiful people wearing your and using <laughs> your, your equipment gear. for 90 minutes in a really beautiful place mm-hmm. give me a call <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Does
0: anybody have any any questions?
1: All right, so you're talking
3: about raising money for this fil- this film, but what are you doing day to day just to make ends meet? How are you surviving in the midst of all this?
1: That's a great question. It really comes down to commercials. So I'm a I'm a freelance filmmaker. In the last month, I've worked on a whole bunch of 3M internet ads. For uh, stuff that goes, that they sell to dentists, that they put in your teeth for crowns, to Scotch Blue Painter's Tape. Uh, I did a whole bunch of ads for them and for the respirators that professional painters will, will wear. And then I've also done some non-profit videos in the last month. And in the next month, it's going to be some car ads, I think, some more Scotch Blue Painter's Tape. And... <laughs> Um yeah, you know. Yep, so every week is different, which I love because you know, one week I'm in the dental industry and the next week I'm selling cars and the next week I'm in finance. <laughs> 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 so as an Enneagram 7. Uh, yeah, I'm
0: an Enneagram 7 as well.
1: Yeah, it's mm-hmm. it's really fun to play for a living and get to discover something different each each week.
4: I'm just curious what other film influences you have. What do you like? What do you like to watch?
0: Also a really good question.
1: That is a great question. Sometimes I think the films that I really enjoy watching the most are the films that I would never make. I adore Wes Anderson, and I love Wes Anderson films, but he is a completely different style of filmmaker than I will ever be. (laughs) Um... Uh, Spielberg, of course, has always been an influence and it's a little cheesy to say that because some of his films are a little cheesy, but he's also made just absolutely incredible films and he's, uh, more than anything, he's such a great storyteller. Mm -hmm. uh, And that's what I really aspire to.
0: Is there anything that we haven't talked about about your filmmaking that you want to make sure that we...
1: That that is a wonderful question. I suppose... I always love just to geek out on creativity and the creative process. Mm. I'd love to ask just some other folks in here and and ask you, how do you fight the blank page? But before, while I let you think about that question, your question reminded me of one element of my creative process. A lot of what I do with documentaries is interviews. I'm asking interview questions Mm. all day, every day, sometimes. And something they taught us on film school was, the last, the last question you should you should ask is always, "What haven't we talked about that you were hoping to talk about?" And I found that I get some of the best responses from mm. that question, because it, I, I think it really honors the person that you're asking. You're interviewing that person for a reason, and it it kind of lets them go off on whatever they wanted to go off on,
0: mm-hmm. or any or fulfill any expectation. Yeah totally of what they wanted. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So let's talk about the blank slate. Any anybody have any thoughts on what gets them past the blank slate? Whatever your creative medium. Are, whether it's cooking or Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> they're all creative. Music. You guys did great by the way. It's it Anna? Yeah. Yep, and what's your last name? Anna, Carrie, and your brother, Brett. Yeah. There is nothing in the world like sibling harmonies.
0: Mm. Mm -hmm. Right?
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Your question about the blank page is interesting. I've been working on a book, and the block has been I'm editing before it gets from here, and I edit, and it doesn't make it to my fingers. Mm -hmm. So like what you were talking about with the bridge that you were always already going to the problem instead of just letting it letting the process flow. And people kept telling me time and time again, just 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 type. Just write. Just let it come out. You can edit it later. Don't edit it, don't edit it here. Yeah. And that's been really freeing to to not edit in the process and then to go wherever in the story I'm feeling inspired and write there, not have to be linear in the process. But Absolutely. go to where the inspiration is.
1: Yeah, and the script for After the Gunflint is on round 10. Hmm. Like, I save each draft, and some of those, like if it's a minor change or something like that, I don't even bother. But if I'm, like, writing a new scene or Mm -hmm. changing a scene significantly, then I just save a new draft. And so it needed to start with... On film school, they called this the author and the editor. The author just wants to spill out all these cool ideas. And the editor is the one that's saying, that's BS, that's, that's a cliche, oh, that's an alliteration, you didn't mean to do an alliteration there. Mm-hmm.
0: Or that doesn't, I mean, something I've been hearing from writers is, what propels the story forward? Yeah. So there might be a great story that's a great story, but in your big narrative, it's not carrying the story along. So even though it's a great story, it needs to be pulled out Absolutely. for the benefit of the big story Yeah. in the film. But or I, think in the book or
1: whatever. I, I think often you're not going to know that until you get it out there. Mm-hmm. You kind of need to get every idea out there on the table out onto the Word document mm-hmm. before you can before you can really know which ones move the story forward or not.
0: Right. I like to call it vomiting on the page. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yep. I just vomit on the page. Yep. Right. <laughs> and actually the
1: first place I learned about that was in a YWAM class where they were talking about hearing the voice of God. Mm. And the speaker there suggested as we were praying and as we were trying to listen to God's voice to write what we thought God was saying. Uh, And what this lecturer said was to just get it all out there and then look back through and see, then invite your editor in and Mm -hmm. say, does this does this line up with the God that I know from Scripture? Mm-hmm. And if it does, then it's great. And maybe it even, maybe in some of those spots it isn't even God, it's just your own mind. But if you're able to, to, you know, this lines up with the character that I know of God from Scripture, then that's great, you know? And if it doesn't, then then you had some bad pizza the night before and, yeah. you know, <laughs> you, you delete it. Mm-hmm. But it's that same concept that... Good writers need both their author and their editor. They just can't be in the same room at the same time.
0: Mm. That's a good way to put it.
4: How about anybody else? As someone who does film as well, I love I love the bridge story because that's what we were taught in school as well, that we often tend to limit ourselves. And it was at the Global Leadership Summit a couple of years ago, um, and I forget who shared it. I think it was Andy Stanley who said, we need to start approaching ideas and situations with a wow not a how and I think mm-hmm. often especially you know I work in a church as well um, we can come up with these big ideas and but how we don't have the budget how we don't have the resources and I think with music with film with whatever it's super easy to live by that standard of but how are we going to do this before we think of the wow and I've always tried to kind of hold on to the wow as much as I can in film and music whatever but I think in In terms of the blank slate in the blank page, I think consuming media for me is just, that's where I experience God the most is in film and in music and um, just consuming stories, kind of like you and hearing other people's stories. That's the most inspirational thing to me is seeing how God is at work through even just creativity as its own thing, but also through film um, stories specifically and through other people. And that kind of refuels me if I'm feeling like stuck in that moment. And so I think that consumption alone just inspires me and reminds me of the creativity of God, and that pushes me then to explore new veins and new avenues of creativity.
1: And I love that concept of uh, the wow and the how. I think it's kind of saying the same thing as the author and the editor. Mm-hmm. And it, it, you need the how, but the wow needs to be solidified first. Because if the how comes in too early, it's just going to eat up the the wow, and then then the idea is never going to get done. So you need to give the wow its space and its time. And yeah, that 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 brings me back to Spielberg because one of the things that I love most about Spielberg is that he has he has a child. He's been able to capture and keep that childlike awe of. Dinosaurs in Jurassic Park and Peter Pan and Hook and even like a story like Catch Me If You Can. Like there's there's a childlike wonder about so many of his films that I think to put it in Andy Stanley's language, Spielberg is able to to show you the wow the whole way through.
3: So I'm a graphic designer, and I also like to cook, so I have a lot of different creative outlets. But I think that I found awesome. that um, with design, well, I've been doing it for a long time, so I've gotten over the, this might be the only piece I'll ever design t- mm. phase of my life, and I've moved on, and I've designed a lot of things now. Yeah. But um, I think for me, I just look for design everywhere. And mm-hmm. I was talking to a college class at Bethel University one time, and they were asking, what's your inspiration? I said, well, for this poster here, it was a tag on a pair of socks that my husband got because it had like this cool little stripe and this little design. And and it was just something that caught my eye. And I went, hmm, I wonder if I could use that idea with this kind of an idea. and And so you you can find it everywhere you know the egg carton at the grocery store what kind of font did they use how did they place it how did they I'm just always looking for that I think that that really helps me always have something in my brain to draw on when I need it is that I'm always keeping an eye out for what's out there what are other people doing and I had a boss once that said there's no such thing as a new design everything's been done before (laughs) and I don't know if that's true or not but the idea that most things have been done in some form or another just try to find a new take on it and just keep looking for
1: I heard this on Rob Bell's podcast a million years ago that an old idea plus an old idea is a new idea (laughs) Uh, and I think that's totally true for for all of us Um, that we see we see good art whether it's on an egg carton or in a movie or a song or a painting or anything and it inspires us, you know. Now, on the other hand, I saw a quote a while back that said, "The first step in being a good movie maker is being a good movie watcher." And the fir- and I thought, well, that's true, but it that also that thought also is a temptation for me on a daily basis to ruin all of my productivity. <laughs> because you know, Then it's like, oh, i got to be a good movie watcher (laughs) first. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think it's good to balance those things of really, you know, respecting other artists and and knowing that our good ideas are piggybacking off of their good ideas almost all the time, one way or another. Uh, We also need to not let ourselves get intimidated or too enthralled with other artists as well.
0: Yeah. Which going back to the Enneagram seven and gluttony being yeah. <laughs> the sin of the seven. Right. Um, I had Judy Haugen on the podcast a few episodes ago and she talked about the theology of beauty, which I had mm. never actually given any thought to, but now since she said it, just even thinking that there would be a theology of beauty, like there's the theology of justice and the theology of sanctification, but i had never thought about the theology of beauty I'm just kind of putting you on the spot, but what? <laughs> what sure. So tell me about that. What does that mean? <laughs>
1: <laughs> wow.
0: Yeah. It, what made me think of it is when you were talking about experiencing God in nature and being able to, and that God was God was going to be a character in your film because of the the setting that you were in, the mm-hmm. theology of the beauty mm-hmm. of the place that you'll be in.
1: Yeah, my first thought is one way that all of us are made in the image of god and one thing that's that we all share is that god is creative and we are creative Mm. and so i think my my theology of beauty is that god took time to create things that seem to have very little function in the world but a whole lot of form Mm. Uh, some things have a whole lot of function and very little form but some things uh, some things are just beautiful for the sake of, of being beautiful. Mm-hmm. And God said that's worth creating. And so I think my theology of beauty is that God is really into it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally. I couldn't believe I hadn't thought of it before or hadn't heard that before. Yeah, that's a cool thought. Yeah. Yeah. So I have two questions that I ask all my guests on the podcast.
1: Okay, great. Go so, for it
0: first one is because it's called retreat house podcast how do you retreat is it a place is it a practice what does it look like
1: that is a wonderful question i think as a fellow seven it's important to find time to play if my mind is exhausted then i want to do something that exhausts my body instead and if my body is exhausted then i want to do something that exhausts my mind instead and so if i've been on my feet all day then I retreat by playing chess <laughs> um, Not actually chess But you know A game that's going to make me think And if I've been thinking about stuff all day Then Then I retreat by working out Or playing football Or something like that Or mm-hmm. video games Spending you know. energy Yeah mm-hmm. Yeah
0: And my other question is If you were to use the hashtag Celebrate weird To describe something about yourself What would it be?
1: My first thought is that m- my wife could talk for days about <laughs> what she would use celebrate weird for me oh. with. <laughs> um I think it's it's just that everyone I know has something that they're just totally weird about. And so I would just like start plas- plastering that over all my friends' profile pictures. <laughs> And they would probably get really mad at me because they hadn't heard the podcast or understand why I'm doing that. But you know, I think we're all nerds about something. Mm-hmm. Um and one of the best ways to know what you're a nerd about is what you podcast. And so, um you know, the fact that the fact that you're making a podcast mm-hmm. probably makes you nerdier than everybody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um
0: I have a high value for celebrating weird. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Where did that come from? Tell me about where did celebrate weird come from? So I from.
0: think the like the individual like you've been talking about we're all created in God's image. Yeah. That there's everybody has a weird in them. Everybody has freak flags. I love it. Yep. But we don't always fly them. Yeah. And we should maybe fly our freak flags a little more often and sure. celebrate the weirdness of us, what makes us us.
1: Yeah. Mhm um
0: different from other people (laughs) nice i get called weird a lot and i used to call my boys weirdo when they were little like as a term of endearment yeah which was fine until they went on the playground and said weirdo Uh and then i was like that's a term of endearment in our family (laughs) (laughs) so it backfired a little bit that's awesome so what is what is one thing that steph would say is is weird about you
1: I'm I really nerd out about baseball.
0: Okay.
1: I spend a lot of time And
0: he's wearing a Twins cap.
1: Yeah, I'm wearing a Twins <laughs> cap tonight. Uh Yeah. Yeah. I I went to his last game and and I wept like a baby. <laughs> um, they didn't know, you know, he hadn't announced it was going to be his last game, but uh every at-bat he had a standing ovation and mm-hmm. then he came out and he, he was a catcher and then he had to move to first base because he had too many concussions, and they said one more concussion could be really bad for him. And so he had really missed catching, and everyone everyone who's a fan knew he was a better catcher than a first baseman. And and so he came out with the catcher's gear in the top of the ninth inning, and I was like seriously like ugly cry like heaving like. I So yeah. That's something that's that's weird mm-hmm. about me, but I love it, and I think that baseball is, um, uh, in some ways, some of the the it's kind of America's celebrate weird a little bit. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's beautiful ballparks and hot dogs and junk food and beer and and a really weird set of rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, baseball is just all kinds of weird. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the pitcher's trying to throw it in the little strike zone, and the player can hit it, but he has to, if he hits it on the ground, the guy has to catch it and throw it to first. If he hits it in the area, you know, you just have to go on and on and on and on before you get to, well, how do you score points? Well, they call them runs, but, it, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it just. <laughs>
0: That's a good one. Baseball that is works. my celebrate weird. <laughs> that works. All right. Well, thank you so much, J.D. Thank, thank you, you for, for sharing me. your story. Really and. It about your filmmaking. I appreciate it.
1: I really enjoyed this. Thank you all so much.
0: Thanks for coming, everybody. Thank you for joining us today at the table. Any information mentioned in the show or things we talked about can be found in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Or if you've already subscribed, please leave a review so that others can find us too. If you want to keep up on what's happening with Retreat House, you can find us on all the social medias at at Retreat House Podcast. If you want to keep up with what's happening with me, you can find me at at Angie Smith MN. We'll see you next week at the Retreat House Podcast.